Welcome, welcome to the very first episode of Cross and Hoop. And is there any game better than the one we had last night to start off this podcast? I'm your host, Hannon Kobe Sue, and we're live from San Francisco. Let's get right into it. Yesterday, the Brooklyn Nets defeated the Los Angeles Lakers. 109-98 in a game that many people deem as the NBA Finals preview. LeBron James dropped 32 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists, but that wasn't enough as his team ultimately fell short. The Nets had 18 threes and blew the game away in the fourth quarter. But let's put the game into some context. We already know before the game that there was no KD for the Nets, and there was no Anthony Davis for the Lakers. So this kind of takes away from the matchup that we had, right? We were expecting LeBron and AD with the new Lakers this year against the big three up in Brooklyn, KD, Harden, and Kyrie. But Nets are missing their best player in KD, and Lakers lost their second best player in AD. And then right before the game, Frank Vogel announces that Dennis Schroeder, the Lakers' third or maybe fourth, arguably third best player, is not playing also. So LeBron does not have his second highest scoring and third highest scoring teammate and the only other playmaker on the team besides himself when he goes sit on the bench. But the game starts off pretty close, actually. It was a back and forth game. Um... The Lakers actually had some lead in the beginning. Um, but everything goes wrong when LeBron sits. LeBron sits um, around the four-minute mark. And then immediately, the Nets hit on a 13-4 run to end the quarter. And then in the second quarter, KCP was hurt a little. And the Lakers played... One of the most bizarre lineups that I've seen all year. They play Quinn Cook, Alex Caruso, THT, LeBron, and Trez on the floor. LeBron being the tallest player there. That's how thin the Lakers are right now. Without Schroeder, without AD, with KCP out. This seems very weird for a team that has so much depth last year. And arguably got better this offseason. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Nets were shooting lights out from the three-point line. Lights out. Joe Harris, a three-point champ, and TLC was just shooting the gym out. Harris had this crazy end-the-shot-clock, kind of fading away, banked it in three, and it just kind of shoots the spirit of the Lakers away. So by halftime, Lakers are down double digits already. Um, I'm, I was sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, okay, we're missing LeBron. I mean, we're missing AD and we're missing Schroeder. Um, we're not having a lot of offense, but we're only still down 10. And I was thinking, if we can keep it that way in the third quarter, the Lakers can mount a comeback in the fourth quarter. But... The second half comes around, the Lakers cannot buy a three. 
They're in fact terrible last night from the three-point line, shooting eight out of thirty, while the Nets kept making them. The Lakers just seem to not be able to find the offense, and you know when you're playing against the Brooklyn Nets, they're arguably one of the worst defensive team right now, and statistically they're the worst defensive team ever in history. But if you cannot score on them, and if you're watching that game, you know if you cannot score on them. As a Laker fan, you will be scared because you know Kyrie Irving and James Harden are coming back on the other end, and most likely they will score on you. But it's not even Harden or Kyrie that played the best last night. It was the Nets role players. Um, so anyway, uh, Lakers by the third quarter they were already down 16, and um, it, it seemed like the game is getting blown away. Um, but the the Lakers had a chance in the fourth quarter. They were down 16, um, opening the quarter. But in the fourth quarter, they had a they opened the quarter with four opportunities from the three point line that were relatively either wide open or slightly challenged. So they have four. They shot four threes to open up the quarter, and I was watching this, and I have never seen this before. They have four threes that went in and out, in a row. And while the Nets, on the other end, scored six points. So, instead of the Lakers, if they had even made two of those threes, okay, they would cut the lead down ten, down to ten. If, of course, if they had made four of them, it would have been down to four. But instead... They didn't score a single bucket, and the Nets dropped six, so the lead became 22. At that point, LeBron came back into the game, dropped five points in a row, in what I have seen to be amazing hustle from uh, Mark Gasol. Um, so the first one was a LeBron three assisted by Gasol when he went after a loose ball, dived to the ground, got on his knees. I love it when NBA players go on their knees um, and go after loose balls. And then pass the right to LeBron. He made a wide open three from the corner. His only three of the night. Um, he shot one of six from the dew point line. And um, the second play, also Marcus all hustle to get an offensive rebound. And then LeBron runs down the floor, gets a layup, reverse layup over DeAndre Jordan um, at the 641 mark. But then um, at this point, the game is pretty much blown away already um, in a little while LeBron goes back to the bench never comes back um, then it was garbage time and the Lakers lost um, there are other highlights in the game um, in fact there were two interesting ones that I'll just point out both of them happened in the first half um, in the first half there was a um, defensive three seconds violation by the Nets and the Lakers had a technical free throw. And out of all the people that were on the court, LeBron, who was shooting 70% uh, from the free throw line this year, was the one taking the three, taking the free throw. And he missed the free throw. And the cameras and the mics caught Carrie saying, This is y'all's best free throw shooter. Uh, it was a direct jab at LeBron. 
And um, this is funny um, because, one, his criticism is valid. Um, because Kyrie is shooting a career high of 90% from a free throw line, while LeBron is a career average of 72 or 73% from the free throw line. Uh, so there is a 20% gap between Kyrie and LeBron from the free throw line. Um, but in another way, it also was a jab, a kind of salty jab at LeBron. Um, if you know the history between LeBron and Kyrie, they were teammates for three years in Cleveland. Um, when LeBron came back, won a chip together in 2016. And then um, Kyrie got tired of LeBron, left for Boston. Played two years there, didn't really have much going on in Boston. In fact, the team played better in the playoffs without him than with him. Um, joined the Nets, nothing much going on this first year. And then finally, he's got KD back and he's added Harden. To me, it seemed like the jab was more out of a position of arrogance. Um, he obviously knows LeBron is not a good three-point shooter. And he's trash-talking, which is good. Good for the game. Um, I'm glad the refs didn't take, tee him up. <laughs> these refs be uh, trolling around these days. Um, but the jab just seemed like it carried a lot of salt, carried a lot of jealousy in it. And I'll just leave it at that. And obviously a second um, highlight, um, also at the free throw line by LeBron, um, when he scored the 16th point of the night, um, he passed the 35,000 point mark. And he's only the third player in NBA history um, to accomplish that um, after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Karl Malone. And he's the youngest player to score 35,000 points in NBA history. He's also the youngest player to score 1,000 points, 2,000 points, 5,000 points, 10,000 points, 15,000 points, 20,000 points, 25,000 points, 30,000 points, and every single point in between. And um, the, the TNT um, made out of projections last night showing that at this pace, if LeBron continues to average 25 points per game, um, which he's doing um, in, in all his years, and this is his third year in Los Angeles, um, he's doing just that, and he doesn't seem to be slowing down even at year 18. Um, it's projected that he will pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 2022-23 season, which is next, next year. So we'll see. We'll see if LeBron can stay healthy and um, get to that mark. But I want to talk about three reasons why the Lakers lost yesterday's game. Number one reason. When you look at the statistics, both teams are very similar. In fact, there was this one stats where both teams had the exact same number. Rebounding. Both the Lakers and the Nets grabbed 39 rebounds last night. Now, why is that? Why, why do I say that's one of the reasons why the Lakers lost? The Lakers is known, at least last year, to be one of the best rebound team, one of the team with the most fear, fierce interior presence in the whole league. 
While the Nets this year, after they traded away Jared Allen, everyone is clowning them, saying they can't defend and they can't rebound. Well, last night, both teams grabbed 39 rebounds. What does this mean? This means two things. The Lakers could not play out one of their best advantages and they could not exploit one of the Nets biggest weaknesses. They simply did not have Anthony Davis on the floor and they couldn't grab those offensive rebounds that they were used to getting all season and all of last year when they had Dwight and JaVale and AD putting back on every other team in the league. They couldn't do it this year. And second reason is the three-point line. The Nets shot 18 of 39 from the three. That's 46%. While the Lakers shot 8 out of 30. That's 27%. The Nets had 10 more three-pointers than the Lakers. That's 30 points right there that the, Lakers, that the Nets have over the Lakers. Just from the three-point line. And it's hard to cover... 30 points from two-pointers, it will take at least 15 make shots. And you could see it last night. The Nets couldn't miss. In fact, they're in one of the hot streaks um, against Sacramento. Two games ago, they made 27 threes. And against the Suns, um, two nights before the game last night, they made 20 threes. And uh, last night, they made 18 threes. In fact, if they had made two more, they would have been the first team in NBA history to have three consecutive games of having 20 or more three-pointers. And the Lakers this season is simply just terrible from the three-point line. And last night was not an exception, especially without arguably their best three-point shooter from Anthony Davis in Anthony Davis and probably their second best three-point shooter um, in Daniel Schroeder. Um, now, here's the biggest reason, and it's kind of related to um, both of the reasons above. Um, and that reason is simply the Nets' playing style outplayed the Lakers' playing style. If Anthony Davis is not on the floor. Both teams have very similar statistics. Like I just said. They have similar field goal percentage. The Lakers shot 48% from the floor. The Nets 49%. Slightly better but it's not like you know. Way better. Um, they have similar assist numbers. They have similar defense numbers. Steal numbers and block numbers. And they have similar turnover numbers. In fact, the Nets shot worse than the Lakers from the free throw line. And the free throw line is one of the Lakers' worst weaknesses. Um, the Nets shot 63% from the line, while the Lakers shot 71% from the line. But here's the thing. that, And I think this is the biggest reason why the Lakers lost the game. The Lakers shot threes, while the Nets shot twos. And... If you have watched the Nets, and you know the Nets, their coach 
by Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni. Um, and if you looked at the lineup yesterday, the starting lineup, <laughs> it is actually looking very similar to the Houston Rockets starting lineup from last year. They had Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Joe Harris, TLC, and Jeff Green. And uh, they played Bruce Brown the rotation, uh, Laundry Shamlet uh, for some minutes. That sounds and and by the height and by their skill set, it is so similar to the Rockets last year. Um, and it's both coached by D'Antoni, and they shot so many threes and made so many of them. In fact. This team, this Nets team right here, is basically a better Rockets team. A way better Rockets team. They have Kyrie Irving instead of Russell Westbrook. And they have Kevin Durant instead of Robert Covington. Now, the Lakers, on the other hand, they are playing the exact same style that they are playing last year. Which is beating every single team in the two-point line in the paint. In fact, the Lakers have 54 points in the paint last night. They were killing them in the paint. But here's the thing. The Lakers have 54 points in the paint and the Nets have 54 points from the three-point line. So it took the Lakers 27 shots to get those 54 points in the paint but it only takes the Nets 18 shots to get those 54 points from the three-point line. That means the Nets had an extra nine possession. And that those nine possession pretty much is the difference of the game. The Lakers only lost by 11 points. So you can't beat the Brooklyn Nets by just simply outplaying them in the paint. You also need to defend them on the three-point line and you need to terrorize them on the offensive board and both of these things is what Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder brings you now on to the second segment of today's show um, I want to talk about the NBA All-Star game um, the starters was released um, last night um, from the yeast we have um, two guards Kyrie Irving Bradley Beal and then three front courts Kevin Durant Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joe Embiid from the west we have um, guards Stephen Curry Luka Doncic and then front court LeBron James Kawhi Leonard and Nikola Jokic. And obviously, um, the two um, vote getters, fan votes um, was from each conference are the captains, and um, KD is a captain for the East, and Braun is a captain for the West. And Braun is the overall um, fan vote getter. He has the most votes, um, 5,922,000. 
and Katie was second, um, and Steph was third. Now, here's the thing, and I'm only going to make one argument here about the starters. I should have no problem with this list. Some people had a very big problem with um, uh, the West Guards. Um, they thought, many people thought Damian Lillard <coughs> should have started over Luka Doncic. And I say, I disagree. I disagree. And here's why I disagree. Luka Doncic, in his third season in the NBA, is averaging 29 points per game, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. That's unheard of. The only player that can average anything close to that, there's only three of them. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James. And this kid is doing it in his third season in the NBA. And he's doing it efficiently. He's shooting 48% from the floor and 35% from the three. Those are LeBron-like numbers. So, no. Luka deserves his spot. Luka is going to be the new face of the NBA very soon. And he deserved this starter spot. But the one snub that I think, the one player that got snubbed, and I'm going to make a strong case for him, is Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown should have started over Kyrie Irving. And here's what I think um, he should have started over Kyrie. Jalen Brown is averaging this season 26 points, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists. And he's doing that, shooting 51% from the floor and 41% from the three. All those are career highs. Now, obviously Kyrie is averaging better numbers than Jalen. But here's the thing. Kyrie is playing on a better team. When you are playing with Kevin Durant and James Harden, and Harden is sacrificing his number of shots, um, saying he will play the one, and Kyrie is playing the two now, right? When you have two players of that caliber drawing attention from the defense, you have more space. You have less defensive attention on you to create shots, to drop, to make buckets, and have better stat lines. Jalen Brown does not have that luxury. And Brown has also played 10 more games than Kyrie. Kyrie missed so many games this season due to injury, due to mental health, whatever the reason might be. But I think Jalen has earned it. Jalen has earned this spot over Kyrie Irving. Here's my prediction um, for what the All-Star Reserves will be. Um, I predict that from the East, the rest of the seven spots will be filled by Jalen Brown, whom I think should have been a starter, Zach Levine, who's playing a breakout elite here um, for the Chicago Bulls, Harden, obviously, um, 
nothing, not, not much needs to be said about that. I have Harden in my fantasy team, and for for a minute, I was mad at him. Like, come on, man, you gotta shoot more. But right now, he's averaging. He's gonna lead the league in assists, and he's playing most efficient season of his entire career. And he is arguably, um, maybe as important a player to the Nets as KD is right now because of how he's sacrificing um, his number of shots and how he's playing that playmaker role to make the big three work on the Nets. Um, Tatum, Tatum is special. Um, he's going to be um, an all-star for many, many years to come. Um, and I have um, Trey Young. Um, he is still averaging a cool 29 points and 9 assists in Atlanta. Although um, although they're not looking good in terms of record, um, he's still playing like an all-star, um, pulling up from logo, um, nutmegging people, connecting with John Cousin, Ali Roop, super entertaining. Um, he's an all-star. And then here's two um, that I think will be first-time all-stars, and they might be debatable, but... I think they have earned it this year. Julius Randle from the New York Knicks. He's balling out this year. And the Knicks right now are in playoff contention. The New York Knicks are in playoff contention. That has not been heard of um, for a long, long time. <laughs> Randle is an all-star this year. And then Jeremy Grant. Breakout year. He bet on himself. Left Denver. Went to Detroit. And he is being rewarded. He is averaging career high numbers across the board. Um, just dropped his career high um, a couple days ago, 43 points. He is arguably um, one of the big, big, best big men in the league. He's an all-star this year. And then in the West, I have Dame Dollar. Nothing much need to be said about that, okay? Mr. Clutch, Dame Time, fourth seed in the West. He's an all-star. Um, Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz are the best team in the league right now. And Mitchell is their best player. That's all you need to know. Devin Booker. Um... I wasn't a big fan of him. Um, still not really a big fan of him. But he's making the work in Phoenix. And Phoenix is playing well. So he is obviously a big talent, big time shot maker. Um, he's an all-star this year. Anthony Davis. There's nothing much can be said about that. Obviously he is hurt. Probably will not play all-star game. Most likely won't play. Um, today there's just an update that he'll be out for four weeks instead of two to three. Um, so, um, he still deserves to be named an all-star, but someone else will probably play for him in this place. And then Rudy Gobert, um, you know, defensive player of the year, just had the biggest contract of his life. Um, and he is still playing very well this year. Um. Still one of the lead leaders in blocks and defensive stats. Um, anchoring the middle for the Jazz. He's an all-star. And then 
here's three players that are a little bit, a little bit debatable, but I think they have earned their spots this year. Christian Wood from the Rockets. He's playing well. Um, it is working really well for him uh, with John Wall in Houston. Um, he's throwing up career-high numbers, um, getting opportunity that he never had in Detroit. He's playing well. And Brandon Ingram, this kid, whom has been deemed as the second Kevin Durant since his rookie year, he is special this year. Um, and he was just the most improved player, and he seems to have gotten even better this year. Um, he is hard to guard, hard to defend, um, scoring at will, looking more and more like KD. He's an all-star. And then this is might be one of the most controversial, but I think is one of the most obvious pick of them all. Zion Williamson. Zion, yes, in his sophomore year, he deserves to be an all-star. This kid is averaging 20 plus, 25 plus points in 60% plus shooting. He is playing more and more like LeBron, except he is bigger than LeBron. And his athleticism and his entertainment value is off the charts. He is box office, man. He is an all-star. Now, on to the last segment um, of today's episode. Uh, I want to talk about the MVP race. In fact, this will be our first MVP chart um, of this season. And for these charts, I will only talk about um, my top three picks for the MVP race um, currently at this point during the season. So, and number three, he is averaging 30 points per game. He is averaging six assists per game and five rebounds per game. 30 points matches his career high uh, in his MVP year. Um, and he is shooting 49% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line. You guys know who he is. He is. Stephen Curry. Yes. People are probably going to look at me like, you have Steph Curry? They're the AFC. But let me tell you this. If Steph Curry is not playing this year, the Warriors are going straight to the lottery. Steph Curry is playing at a level that matches his MVP season. He is, listen to this, he is averaging 12 attempts a game from the three-point line. 12 attempts. And he's making five per game. He's averaging 30 points per game. And 15 points of them, of those 30 points, comes from the three-point line. The second leading scorer on that Warriors team 
is Andrew Viggins, and he's averaging 18 points per game. Curry is averaging what their second best player is averaging just by shooting threes. <laughs> that's how good Steph is, and that's how bad his team is. Um, for when I devalue the MVP, it's also not just stats. I have four criteria of evaluation. It's statistics, it's their record, it's their teammates, and it's this fourth element that I call the eye test. Um, how good are they? Just by looking at them playing the game. Um, obviously, the record does not really play in Steph's favor. Um, the Warriors are 16 of 14. They're eighth in the West right now, barely in playoff contention. They're actually only half a game ahead of Memphis and only two games ahead of um, the Dallas Mavericks. But you have to know that this team, like I said, without Steph, they're going straight into a lottery. The second best player, no disrespect at all, is Andrew Wiggins. And the third best player is Kelly Uber, who they pay 70, 80 million dollars for just for him to be averaging 14 points per game, shooting 30% from the three-point line. Uh, this team is trash without him. But with him on the floor, Steph is lighting it up. Yes, they're only 16 or 14, but in those 16 wins, they have beat some impressive teams. They have beaten the Los Angeles Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Toronto Raptors, and the Portland Trail Blazers. They also beaten Miami Heat. Um, and in these games, in those 16 games, in those um, in 29 out of 30 games that Steph played this year, he has 11 30-point games. He has one 40-point games, and he has two 50-plus point games, including his career-high 62-point game against the Trailblazers, against whom people are calling, um, whom the NBA has right now as the third um, NBA frontrunner, Damian Lillard. He just simply outplayed Lillard in that game. When the stakes are the highest when the opposing star is the brightest. Steph shined. Steph took the challenge and Steph dropped 62 on his head. Steph is number three on my MVP list. Number two is Joel Embiid. This brother is averaging a career high 30 points per game. He is grabbing 11 rebounds per game. He is shooting 54% from the floor and 40% from the three-point line, both of which are career highs. He has carried the Sixers to be first in the East at 20 and 10. And his teammates aren't doing that good. Yes, they have added Seth Curry and Dwight Howard, which is really good for the team, but the second best player, Ben Simmons, is struggling. He's averaging career low, 15.2 points per game, and he has missed a lot of games. And somehow, Joel is carrying this team to be first 
in the East. And if you just do the eye test on Steph Curry, or I mean on Joel Embiid, he is unstoppable. Um, just today, he dropped 50 points and 17 rebounds. And he is playing like Shaq right now. There is no one else in the NBA who can match his size. And if there is someone who can match his size, like Taco or like um, Boban, there's no one who can match his size that can match his speed. And if there's someone who can match his size and his speed, there's no one who can match his footwork and his strengths. He is simply right now the best big man in the game and the most unstoppable force in the game. But the only knock that I have against him, and that's why I don't put him on number one on my list, is that he has missed seven games. If you're going to be the MVP, you have to play as many games as you can. And Joel Embiid is still um, suffering a lot of injuries, a lot of diseases. There's only been 30 games this season, and he's already missed um, close to a quarter of them, seven games. At this rate, um, he will be missing 16 out of the 30 of the 72 games, and that's simply not enough for me to call him the MVP. At number one on the MVP list, and I think everyone know at this point know who I'm going to put it. Is LeBron James. LeBron James, in his 18th year, is averaging 26 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, and 8 assists per game. And he's doing all of this with while playing career-low 34.6 minutes per game. He has played all 30 games, every single one of them. And he has carried the Lakers to be um, second in the West at 22-8. and eight. And his teammates um, is not playing as well as they are expected to be. Um, his co-star Anthony Davis is um, very underperforming this year. He's only averaging 22 points per game. He is struggling um, from the three-point line, from the free throw line. And in fact, the Lakers right now statistically are better without him on the floor in defense than with him. Um, and just by looking at the eye test, okay, I laid out the statistics, I laid out their record, and I laid out how his teammates are not that good. That's why LeBron should get more credit for carrying the Lakers to be second in the West right now. But all of this, um, you can make the case. If I just look at the first three criteria, stats, record, and teammate, all, through all of this, you can make a case that Joel is better than LeBron in those three criteria. But here's the fourth criteria that really sets LeBron apart. And it has been setting LeBron apart for the past 18 years that he has been in the league. It's the eye test. And this is called, I call this the LeBron effect. Whenever a team that has LeBron James is playing LeBron on the floor and you compare that with them playing without LeBron on the floor, 
you see a vast difference. And the Lakers has demonstrated that again last night. Let me just give you two examples. In the second quarter last night, um, the Lakers were only down 10 points, 11 points, um, at the six-minute mark when LeBron sat. In three minutes, okay, in three minutes, so at the three-minute mark when LeBron came back to the game, the Lakers lost 10 points. They're down 19 when LeBron came back to the game at the three-minute mark. And then immediately, LeBron goes on to score three layups in a row and make two free throws, eight points in a row to cut that deficit to 11. That's the LeBron effect. And then let me give you a second um, example from last night's game. Third quarter, LeBron leaves the four at the five-minute part. They were only down 10. LeBron was keeping them in the game. And then in three minutes, in three minutes again, LeBron comes back. They're already down 20. When LeBron James is on the floor versus when LeBron James is not on the floor is the difference between a team that is in the finals every single year and a team that is either in the lottery or barely reaching the playoffs every single year. And that is value right there. LeBron James, in his 18th year, after 35,000 points and countless minutes, is still the best player in the league. Thanks for listening. Um, this is my first episode. Um, I hope to create more episodes in the future. Um, please continue to tune in and I hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you again next week.